Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. Hi, today I'm asking one of those overarching life questions of why do so many people suffer alone in silence? Because it just seems that this happens so much of the time and it might be unnecessary because there might be support out there for people who are going through terribly challenging times. But there's something, there's this thing that holds people back from reaching out and getting support unless they hit rock bottom and they go through so much pain and suffering and I just wanted to dig deep and find out what is it? Why is it that so many people hold themselves back from getting support when they really need some support to help them get through their life's challenges? I see so many good people going through major life struggles and they do this on their own. And if you know me, you'll know that my heart is to support women who've been impacted by toxic relationships. I want to help these women to get through the challenges that they're faced with. I help these women to recover from the traumas of their experiences and to renew themselves after losing themselves in these toxic relationships. And most importantly, to find that path to rebuilding uh, one, you know, building block on top of another at a time to rebuild their life with clarity and purpose so that they can renew themselves and have a, a new life on the other side of that, which can sometimes seem really daunting and quite impossible after you find that your life is just in a thousand pieces after you come out the other side of a toxic relationship. So whether I ask this question of why do so many people suffer in silence for others I see that could be getting unstuck from their pain and suffering that they're going through if they were tapped into the right support or whether I take myself back to that time in my life where um, my life was just spiralling out of control and um, it I remember it took me hitting rock bottom to start to tap into support. And this is the support that I needed to help me to navigate the challenges that I was facing. So I know that this is something that many people do. And this week's episode of Tiara's Tears and Triumphs is going to dig really deep and find out why so many people suffer in silence. 
in the hope that this will set you up to be free to do something about your situation by tapping into the right support, by breaking through those, those barriers, those things that hold people back, to be able to save yourself from some heartache and pain that you would be going through if you were going through those challenges on your own. So let's open the door on this week's episode. Just a caution, if you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back any time you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Tiara's Tears and Triumphs. I don't know if you have gone through or maybe you are going through a time in your life right now where you're weighed down by some kind of adversity and you find yourself feeling completely alone in what you're going through and you are sadly suffering alone in silence. If this is you, know that you're not alone, okay? There are so many people who do this. There are so many people who suffer alone in silence. And I've been one of those people. I've definitely been there too. There have been many times in my life where my life has been a series of constant dramas and I have kept all my problems very close to my chest and suffered through those dramas in silence. So what brought about this episode this week? Recently, I I bumped into someone I know who's going through a breakdown in her marriage and things have become really toxic for her. So she came to me in tears and she, you know, told me that she was broken and she just kept apologizing to me. And I've been there. I've been exactly where she is. And I know how hard it is to share the heartache and the brokenness that you're feeling unapologetically. I know that I couldn't do that when I was feeling the way that she was. So I have so much empathy for her. I understand that pain that she's feeling at the moment. And I understand that feeling that she has, that she needs to be apologizing for her brokenness, for those feelings that she's feeling right now, because life is not all rosy for her and um, and when it's not we feel that we need to apologize for that to other people which is really ironic because life isn't just a bed of roses you know there are thorns in the roses we you know life does get painful and um and we do get hurt So I understand that the time that um, you reach out for help is when 
you generally get to crisis point. It's when you feel yourself hitting rock bottom that you tap into support. And something just sprang into my mind from just going back to school days um, when, when I was a student, and I know this is true for many people, not everybody will put their hand up to ask the teacher a question. Um, there are many, many kids who go through their education without ever asking a question because they don't want to appear to be stupid. And this is one of the things that I think, you know, I don't know where it comes from, but we have this expectation that we're supposed to understand everything that we're being taught as we're being taught and if we're not understanding it that there's some flaw in us and um, by asking an open question suddenly we're exposing ourselves to everybody as being stupid or not knowing enough and you know and that makes us feel very vulnerable so all of this starts at a really young age for for us as human beings and um so getting back to you know what happens when we're at crisis point so we'll we'll go through our our learning and um and there'll be things that we don't understand things that we don't know but we don't ask for somebody else to answer those questions for us we'll keep muddling through on our own trying to understand trying to find the answers to those questions and then when it comes to that point where um, we have hit rock bottom and things we're at a crisis point that's when we are willing to say we need some help and we reach out and we ask for help but we don't feel great about it <laughs> um, and we don't feel as though it's our right to ask for support and that it's just part of being human that we actually are going to need support at different points in our lives. So then that's the time though when it's crisis point that you'll engage with that support and once that crisis is over then the norm is that you'll just get back to trying to do things on your own again. And quite naturally, you know, this is where it, it's not black and white because we need to go through struggle to be able to develop. You know, we need to fully develop in our character, um, in being able to cope, in being able to... Uh, navigate life's challenges to be strong to be resilient um, to be capable all of those things that you know we're not born with those skills we need to learn them and a way to learn those skills is by going through adversity so that on one hand you've got that and that's very true but on the other hand there's also support out there for people and why is it why is there a stigma attached to getting support and the reason I you know like I advocate for getting support so much is because 
when you look at people who are leaders and when you look at people who are successful, they have absolutely no problem in delegating their needs to other people to get those needs met. So they understand that you achieve much more in life by connecting to other people and by gaining support. They don't look at support as being a sign of weakness. They see getting support as a way to gain all the things that they need to be able to set themselves up for success in life. That doesn't mean that they're using people. It just means that they understand that collaboration and putting two heads together is, you know, is a much faster way to work through your challenges and your problems and find solutions to be able to move forward. So this is where I'm coming from. I'm coming from this place this week of wanting to break through those stigmas that exist that make us feel as though we're failures in asking for support because we're not a failure to ask for support. It is a strength and understanding that it is a strength is really important because if I just tell you that it is a strength to ask for support, it's not going to compute necessarily for you and you're not going to take it on and accept it and actually put it to practice. So I want you to understand from that perspective of looking at successful people that yes, it is very much a strength to be able to ask for support. So I understand that the time that you reach out you know it's when you get to crisis point it's when you feel yourself hitting rock bottom that you tap into support and then you engage with that support and once that crisis is over as I said before you'll attempt to get on with things on your own again so um that is going to be like a fit and start sort of you know you'll you'll have these interruptions and it won't be a smooth journey you'll still come up against these bumps in the road that might actually take you back down again to crisis point. When you're going through the breakdown in a toxic relationship, it's like fighting spot fires. And I know this from my own experience because you say it seems to be like you'll put out one fire, then you'll know that another fire is going to erupt at some point you don't know where you don't know when but you know that it is it's not in your control but it's going to happen so what you do is you go back to trying to manage the best way that you can on your own and you wait for that next crisis to arise you not wait for that next fire to ignite and then you'll go through that same cycle once it's flared up then you'll go back into crisis management mode and you'll put that put that fire out and on and on and on it goes. So it is a very complex thing managing a toxic relationship, managing an abusive relationship. 
because you're not in control of the other person's behavior. You're not in control of what they're going to do. And you know, you've lived through the toxicity, you've lived through that cycle and you know that until that person backs off completely, you're not going to have a whole lot of peace in your life, but you just do the best that you can to manage the best way that you can. And you've built up lots and lots of strategies, lots of skills to contend with all of the drama that goes on with your life. But you don't necessarily have support people there to help you to actually get to that point where you start turning the corner and start changing the balance of power and you start taking back more and more control in your life. So for you, it might seem like the only way to manage, but I'm now free of that toxic person that was in my life that was constantly sabotaging my life. And, and I've now got the benefit of hindsight. So if I had, um, if I was in that position again, I know that there's certain things that I would do differently. So if I would have had access to a mentor who I could do a weekly check-in with to just to recap on the week that was, um, to talk about, you know, where my mindset was at that particular point when we're having the conversation and um, to talk about what sort of things would strengthen my mindset to be my strongest for the week ahead and to work on some sort of plan for the short term. So to work on what, who I needed to have in my corner in terms of supports to be able to navigate those challenges and get really, really clear and know that I've got somebody in my corner. I know that if I had that, it would have saved me a whole lot of heartache and pain. And when you're in that place, there's not many people who are doing what I'm doing at the moment. Um, there's a lot of people who are working in the crisis um, support area. So they're called first responders. And those first responders play a really, really critical role in helping to keep women safe and keep children safe and helping them to deal with the crises that are erupting in their lives but that doesn't mean that there's people there for that next step of helping them to work out okay right how am I going to navigate back to normal and again how am I going to get my life back on track so um so yeah so this is but there are lots of different supports out there I'm not saying that my the type of work that I do that um that it's better than what anybody else is doing. I think everybody's playing a really essential role in helping women to get their lives back again. So, um, yeah, so please don't um, think that I'm. this is about me and what I'm offering. The whole purpose of this episode is to get you tapping into support that's right for you for where you're at in your journey right now and if you've been holding yourself back from 
calling that domestic abuse counselling line and having that conversation with them about the types of things that's going on in your relationship and seeing what type of support might be available to you to help you navigate a safe path out of your relationship, then I would encourage you, I hope that this episode helps to give you that encouragement to push past any fears you might have about making a connection to a support service like that to get the help that you need for what you're dealing with right now. So um, one thing that every woman needs to learn and is part of her success story in navigating out of abusive relationships and um, into starting to repair and rebuild after that is to learn to become your own best advocate and that's a hugely challenging thing to ask women of when part of that um, cycle of abuse is to disempower a woman and make her lose her confidence in herself and ultimately lose confidence in her own voice and when you lose confidence in yourself and when you lose confidence in your own voice then asking you to advocate for yourself is it doesn't compute how on earth are you going to be able to do that when you've lost your voice and you just don't know have the confidence to talk to people because you you don't feel seen you don't feel heard and you don't feel valued but one of the things that you really need to do to be able to navigate through all of your challenges is to learn to be your best advocate when I learned to do this and I'm saying you know that loss of voice um, thing because that's what happened to me I didn't feel as though I had a voice I felt like I was a doormat I had no confidence in myself or in asking for anything of myself so of myself or for myself rather so I'm telling you this from my own first-hand experience as well so but when I did learn this meant getting into a very cringy space where I really I had to allow myself to become very vulnerable by letting people in official positions know what um, I would say was the I, I had to let them know about what I call the ugly side of my life and that wasn't easy uh, I felt really super vulnerable every single time that I would do this but glossing over the things that were going on in my life was not going to get me the right level of support for what I needed to come out on top and another thing that I needed to learn when I was learning to advocate for myself is to I guess summarize so and this is one reason why I encourage women to journal what's going on for them. Um, if you can learn to just succinctly put into as brief a statement as possible 
what it is that is going on for you and the things that are putting you at the greatest risk, why you feel as though your safety is at risk, why you feel your sanity is at risk because of that relationship. If you can learn to articulate that really clearly, then you can even refer to that when you are speaking to these people because, um, because you'll want it to, in one way, you won't want to share any of it. And in another way, you'll want to share everything. And, and you can't because, um, because it's just too much. So you need to learn to break it down and say this as succinctly as possible so um so yeah i would encourage you to write things down to journal and to revisit that and pull things out of what you've journaled your key points and then write those down so you've got your key points that you are going to share with those crisis support people whether that be the police whether that be somebody in the court whether that be a domestic violence support person whether that be somebody who is um, in the housing sector who's assisting you with getting housing any of that you if you can just break down your key points about your needs as it relates to the person that you're talking to, then you will learn to advocate for yourself with more confidence. It's not going to just come naturally the first time you try and do it. The more you do it, the better you will become at advocating for yourself. So just start. And the people working in these support roles don't expect women to be the best advocates for themselves. They know um, they know the trauma that women are going through and experiencing and they know that women going through these things with um, cycles of abuse have lost their voice, have lost their confidence, have lost their self-esteem and all of this is really challenged them on being able to communicate clearly what they need. So don't expect yourself to be perfect. Don't um, be hard on yourself. Just do the very best you can when you talk to people about what you need. So one of the things I needed to do is I needed to change my definition of what strong is. I'd been telling myself for a long time that being strong was doing everything on my own, in my own strength. And you know, this was true to a degree because I did need to take responsibility for my life, good, bad, or whatever. And that meant taking some action. And this takes me back to a story um, from the Bible of David and Goliath. Now, David wasn't a soldier. So, you know, they were in battle and, um, David was called upon to kill Goliath. So he wasn't a soldier. He was a shepherd. And um, now how's it, you know, like there's all these soldiers, they're up against this, this giant, but 
it is this shepherd who's a gentleman who's called upon the to, called upon to kill this giant now you might think that he had to find some supernatural physical strength to defeat the giant but he just needed a strategy and he needed the right weapon and he needed faith to be able to defeat the giant so there was a few things going into the mix that he really needed and from memory the story goes that um it doesn't say whether David was scared but there's a good chance that you know he's a shepherd he's not he's not a trained soldier I imagine that David would have been experiencing some fear of um, self-doubt about um, going up against this giant. Um, but he he had the courage to face the giant. He had a strategy and he had faith. So um, all he had was a slingshot and a stone. But he succeeded in killing the giant when that stone that he catapulted out of the slingshot hit the giant between the eyes and so you know he was successful but he didn't go into the, that battle feeling as though he was alone he had faith that god was in his corner that he had god had his back and that god would make a way for him he had a plan for david to be able to take that giant down so so when we're facing a giant, it's easy to have that fight flight response from the hypothalamus kick in. And this makes cognizant thinking just fly out the window. So um, as soon as, as the fear takes hold, then we lose clarity of thought. And so that's why it's important to have a plan. So the more that you have a plan, the less you have to rely on your own ability to think clearly in moments of crisis. So if you don't have a plan, you'll either um, want to retreat and withdraw from the situation as much as possible. Um, you won't, you, or you may want to go into hiding, you know, understandably, you'll want to do something that's going to make you feel protected and safe from the threat and the danger, you know, as, as you possibly can be. Um, or you might act irrationally and you may even get hysterical. Again, all of this is because you want to draw attention to your need to be kept safe because you sense danger. So it's either going to be flight or fight. So if you've got a plan, it's basically the remedy to help you facing your adversities. And planning can be difficult when you're under pressure. So, and that's purely because our hypothalamus, it's that becomes activated as soon as it senses danger. So um, crisis management and risk aversion and all of that kind of stuff 
is really important to have some sort of plan. When I was talking earlier about those spot fires and you know that the crisis is going to erupt, but you don't know when and you don't know what the next thing is going to happen. But this is why it's so important for women to have a safety plan in place because when that crisis does erupt, then they've got a plan for that crisis. So, but then there's all these other things that are going to, you're likely to be coming up against in this breaking away from this toxic person, whether that's going through um, the courts with uh, is the, the disillusion of the marriage or the relationship and the separation of your assets or custody of children um access to children maybe there's an intervention order in place the forward planning part is the part that you can really do with help with because even though you might not be in the crisis if you're more than likely still going to be overactivated in that hypothalamus area of still knowing that there's going to be another crisis coming up. And so that fight flight instinct is going to be very ready to flare up at any time. And you're possibly, might I even say probably, um, set up, uh, you know, thinking that mm, I'm not safe, you know, no matter what I do, I'm not safe. So that how on earth, you know, are you supposed to um, think coherently, think clear, clearly and be able to forward plan on your own with confidence when you're not feeling safe? Now, when I bumped into the lady that I know, I knew exactly, I, I, I knew recently um, this lady, you know, that I mentioned who's going through the worst time with the breakdown in her marriage that had become toxic. I offered her to do a weekly check-in with me to help her stay as strong as possible as she navigated through the challenges that she was facing and help her to move forward with a plan. But she didn't take me up on the offer or not straight away anyway. I could tell, you know, that she was feeling ashamed, embarrassed, um, all those horrible feelings where you feel as though you're burdening other people by letting them know about, you know, the problems that you're having in your life at the moment and about being in that position. So I wasn't really surprised at all when she withdrew into her protective shell. And I often think of victims of abuse being like turtles. Um, they feel that they have, they really have to develop a protective shell, a hard exterior to try to keep themselves safe from being more hurt and they quickly withdraw into their shell because the world around them doesn't feel safe for them at the moment and they easily shy away preferring to do what they feel they need to do to protect themselves than to open up to others and get support. I get this because that was me for a long long time but my life didn't turn a positive corner until I came out of that shell to open up to the right people. 
um, the right people who could help me to advocate for the right level of support that I needed to navigate the many, many challenging things that I was facing. And when I say the right people, you know, the difference that the right people make is they actually they help you to regain your confidence. So when you know that you've got the right people in your corner, it becomes easier to advocate for yourself. It becomes easier to have the confidence to then go to somebody else and say, well, this is what I need. And you know that because you've actually bounced it off somebody else who is the right person, who is working in a um, in an area where they are directly supporting you through your challenges and it becomes much easier to gain that confidence that you need to speak up about what you need and you feel like yeah I actually have a right to be asking for this support and um, you don't feel the same loss of dignity that you do when you're you haven't got somebody validating that for you. Now, I promised that I would dig deep to get to the bottom of why people suffer in silence with the hope that this will help you to understand what has held you back so that you can be set free from, from that to turn the corner and to see the light start filtering back into your life again. And it's been really interesting what I've uncovered in my research. So... When I was thinking of what character trait um, someone who needs to advocate for themselves needs to possess, the word assertive popped into my head. And, and this led me to discover another term called turbulent. Now, an assertive character type, um, they're prone to be happy-go-lucky calm and relaxed whereas turbulent character types tend to be self-conscious perfectionists concerned about their abilities and also concerned about the way that others perceive them so, so to me this um, speaks about self-confidence self-assuredness and an underlying sense of security when it comes to people who fall into the assertive category now it is much easier to be open and confident when you're feeling of security is not being undermined by another person or a set of circumstances that are out of your control and it seems natural that when your feelings of security are being undermined that it would be natural to become the turbulent character type so people who feel insecure generally feel self-conscious maybe their insecurities are unfounded or maybe they have real threats to their security to cause them to feel insecure and self-conscious so think back to being a teenager how self-conscious did you feel at that time in your life did you feel like all eyes were on you. Did you ever feel, why is that person staring at me? 
Or did you ever feel your cheeks getting red and feelings of embarrassment rising up in you because you felt self-conscious and vulnerable? If you did, you're not alone. That's I think that's a majority of teenagers. And I've got three teenagers and all of them have said to me from time to time, you know, why is that person staring at me? It's making me feel really uncomfortable. So we are all prone to feeling self-conscious. Now, this time in your life is one where you feel really awkward and, as I said, terribly self-conscious. You're not 100% comfortable in your own skin yet because you're still growing, you're still developing, you know, still learning to like and love that person that you are. And it can be an incredibly painful time in life that doesn't necessarily end when you become an adult. These painful feelings of self-consciousness can last well into your adulthood. There's so many people who aren't, um, who are hard on themselves, who um, don't, like aspects of themselves who don't love aspects of themselves and that whole thing of self-acceptance is uh, is a lifelong journey um, for many many people it has been for me it certainly has been for me learning to like myself and learning to love and accept myself have all been a big part of my journey and that's not to say that I think that I'm anything special but it's actually breaking through those toxic um toxic I guess ways that I've looked at myself and been very hard on myself and um and yeah and not loved or accepted myself so um this is part of many many people's journey I know that I'm not alone in that so yeah so teenagers yes very painful feelings of self-consciousness so when you have a think about it and you think, you know, why do so many people need to drink or take drugs when they socialize? It's because they feel self-conscious and they feel they need to have a drink or take drugs to loosen up and to help them to lose their inhibitions so that they can relax and open up and have fun and let their hair down and just let themselves go and there's, you know, also that other thing of, you know, why is public speaking or performing one of people's greatest fears only surpassed sometimes by death? Again, it is because of feelings of self-consciousness. People don't want to be judged. They don't want to face being judged by other people. So this is such a dilemma. This is one of the key things that holds people back from coming out of their shells and sharing with others what is going on for them on the inside, what their struggles are, what dark emotions that they're experiencing and what help they might actually need. Now, I heard a term recently, don't go swimming around in goop 
in your life. Now, GOOP is an acronym. It's spelled G triple triple O, so O O O and P, and it stands for the good opinion of other people. Now, the reason you don't want to go swimming around in goop in your life is because it will weigh you down. It will slow you down. It will probably keep you stuck. And worse still, it may even see you go under. So this is something we all need to learn to do is not give too much importance to the opinion of other people. So it's, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to the advice of other people. You shouldn't listen to feedback. That's not what it means. It just means that you shouldn't not be yourself because you're worried about what other people think. So this is where you need to become learn to become assertive. You need to swallow that fear of exposing your vulnerability and um no everyone yes everyone will go through some form of pain and suffering in their lives so take the stigma out of it take the shame out of it you're not alone and the people who can turn who you can turn to for help um know that that's the case that everybody goes through ups and downs that um Sometimes, you know, the choices that we make in life don't have great outcomes for us and we all make mistakes. So the opportunity there is to be able to choose something different for yourself. So you don't have to stay stuck with that mistake and let that define you for the rest of your life. And I hope that one thing is going to help to set you free because that is where freedom lies in that, in looking at that opportunity, understanding, yeah, I made a choice and it's taken me to this place in my life where um, I've got all of these dramas happening. But that doesn't mean that I can't choose something different for myself now and, um, and that that new choice that I'm making is going to take me on a different trajectory in my life and it may take me time for me to start seeing the positive elements of change start filtering into my life but if I stay thinking that this is as good as it gets with this mistake that I've made with the choice that I made and that I can't do anything to make it any different, that I just have to accept it. And um, the outcome may not be a good one for you. I, I just encourage you to get support. There's nothing wrong with getting support. So. There is, as I said, this is where you need to you need to learn to become assertive and just swallow that fear of becoming vulnerable. Because there's great strength in vulnerability. Um, it's 
true it's real and it's a very brave and courageous place to be when you can be vulnerable and true about your pain the pain and suffering in your life as well as the joy and the good times so we're going to talk next about perfectionism okay and what a trap perfectionism can be letting go of high ideals um, that come with perfectionism doesn't mean that you have to lower your standards or your values it doesn't mean going to the other extreme of apathy which is basically not giving a crap about anything it just means doing the best that you can with what you know and what you have to that point in your life now we're all here on that evolutionary journey from the time that we're born and we draw our first breath and even before then there are many stages of development and each stage is inherently different and new. Now, we live in an imperfect world. It's full of problems. It's full of challenges. So why would we expect ourselves to be perfect? And why would we want to put ourselves under pressure to be perfect and have a perfect life? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Stepford Wives. So Stepford is an idyllic place with beautiful stately homes and beautifully manicured gardens. And the Stepford Wives are these stereotypical, subservient, you know, gorgeous women. They're a vision of loveliness. They're sexy and each one of them is a domestic goddess. They're usually, they're very accomplished, but they're, they're just everything, you know. Um, is it possible that you have got an image of yourself like that in your mind, that that's what the perfect woman needs to be, that the perfect woman needs to be the perfect partner, the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect friend, the perfect person, um, you know, be perfect in her career path. Is that the kind of perception that you've got of yourself that you won't be happy unless you're perfect in all of those areas? And maybe you, you kick yourself because you're constantly falling short of this image of perfection. And it might sound like really out of whack. And, um, but, you know, that's, it's not a far cry from the kind of pressure that I actually used to put myself under, which is just ridiculous, but I did. There's, there was no freedom for me to stumble. There wasn't any freedom for me to have a bad day. There wasn't any freedom for me to not cope at a particular time with the pressures of life. There was no freedom for me to get sick or to make mistakes or basically be a human being, which is, yeah, just so unattainable and unrealistic so thankfully I I let go of perfectionism and I joke about it now as I say you know I used to be a perfectionist and then I had four children and I let it go so um, I knew 
then when I had four children and I was in a very toxic relationship with somebody who had a full-blown amphetamine addiction and I knew that it was an absolutely unattainable expectation to put myself under when you know most days I was just running around like a chook with my head cut off from one child to the other doing what I needed to do for them as a mother and I had to turn a blind eye to you know wanting to have the picture perfect house with all the jobs done consistently day in day out 365 days a year and I had all the dramas that went on with a person that had a full-blown amphetamine addiction so letting go of ideals of perfectionism that it wasn't easy for me and I had um many guilty moments and feelings of not being good enough because I wasn't able to sustain my desire to have everything be perfect and for me to be the perfect mum and partner and the perfect person but I knew I had to let go of that I guess it was survival mode by that time and for my own good for um, my own survival because I my life was just spiraling in a downward direction and um, you know because my then partner he was just hell-bent on sabotaging his own life my life the children's lives anyone whose life he was connected to um so my priority had become finding ways to survive instead of finding ways to be perfect but the inner conflict, it still remained in me for a really long time to come, you know, a long time to come until I finally gave myself that permission to make mistakes and look upon mistakes as being an opportunity to gain feedback and learn what I needed to learn to do things differently and to be able to move forward. So if you feel, okay, if you feel as though you have to be perfect and have to get everything perfect all of the time, maybe maybe give some thought to changing this by giving yourself permission to make mistakes. So why is it important for you to give yourself permission? Because even if you or when someone else gives you permission, your mindset will still be conflicted and sending you messages that this somehow doesn't apply to you. So you need to be the one to give yourself permission to get things wrong, to make some unwise choices, to do things the wrong way or do the wrong things. Then when you make a mistake, you don't have to stay in that place of self-condemnation you can see the mistake as an opportunity to learn not to make that same mistake again and more importantly, learn how to do things differently next time. So what are you waiting for? I want you to repeat after me. It's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes and mistakes are just opportunities for me to learn and develop. 
And that's exactly what they are, their opportunities. So the next point for turbulent people is that they may have concerns about their abilities. Again, you're not alone. Many people feel inferior, unqualified, even downright stupid. I think that this ties into perfectionism, but also a trap that many of us fall into is that of comparing ourselves to others. So we can spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to others, but we very rarely compare ourselves to ourselves by looking at all we have learned and accomplished and achieved in our lives. No, we'd rather give ourselves a hard time looking at someone else's life and that makes us feel inferior because we don't have what that person has. We don't look like that person looks or we don't live in a nice house like that person owns or we don't drive a car like that person drives or we don't have the perfect relationship like we think that person has. It takes us to this place of a glass half empty. So when we do this we comparison between ourselves and somebody else, it puts us into this place of lack. We think in terms of not enough or, you know, we're not enough, we don't have enough um, or insufficiency. So it's just, again, it's insufficient. We don't have enough of that thing. And as we're in that place, then we constantly feel like we're falling short our lives are falling short and um, this then makes us withdraw and keep you know our vulnerability is close to our chest so I'm going to ask you what is enough this is something that is good to help you make peace and the earlier on in your life that you can make peace with what enough is the better so in the western world enough can be a never-ending list of new stuff so it means that there really isn't ever going to be enough because as soon as you've got that thing that you had your eye on that you really wanted then another thing is going to pop up as being, uh, you know, I'll be happy when I have that thing or I'll be happy when, I, um, when I've lost 10 kilos or I'll be happy when I've met Mr. Right or I'll be happy then. So all of that is putting off happiness until you get that thing, but it's the wrong way around. And it's not a path to happiness. It's not a path to peace. Because, you know, we can just become a slave to thinking that our enoughness is, is based on the things that we have. And by that, what I mean is not just stuff like, you know, the house, the car, the TV, the device, the type of mobile phone that you have. I mean the way that you, you look um, so yeah, the, the weight, the, the clothes, the um, how many lines you have on your face or how many children you have or you don't have, the partner that you have or you don't have, 
it just applies to every area of your life. And this is where adopting a gratitude practice can start to turn that type of thinking around. Um, because I tell you, there are so many, many people who live their lives in this space of happiness comes when we've attained this, that or the other. So you might not think that you have anything in your life right now to be grateful for um, because you might be dealing with some major adversities. So I understand that when I put this forward and I say, adopt a gratitude practice you're probably going to be thinking yeah right you know like I don't feel like I've got anything to be grateful for my life sucks right now basically so it's it's I'm not saying it's going to be easy for you to come up with this beautiful list of things that you can be grateful for and just be able to you know say from your heart I'm just so grateful. I'm so incredibly grateful that I have life, you know, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that, um, that I've woken up today and today's an opportunity for some good to happen in my life. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful that I've got food to eat to sustain me. That's enough. I know that I've got more than enough and I'm so grateful for that. So I know that you might not be able to say any of those things with ease or feeling as though you're saying those things from your heart. And that's where gratitude comes from. Gratitude really comes from the heart. So when you're trying to think of things that you can be grateful for, put your hand on your heart and think about what it is that your heart is really grateful for. So start with something really basic because it doesn't have to be anything amazing for you to feel like your life is enough. It, it can just be purely that you've woken up today and you have that opportunity for something good to enter into your day. You don't know what it is. You don't know when it will come. You don't know what form it'll come, but you know that you have another day to explore that and you're grateful for that. So when you're grateful for the little things, understand that what you're doing is each of those little things is like a building block. And each time you are grateful for something, it is like putting another block on top of another block on top of another block. And what that does is that builds a wall of sufficiency in your life. And what that leads to is a life of happy-go-luckiness a feeling of freedom so please don't discount this exercise that I'm asking you to do I'd really encourage you to give it a try and to do it every single day because um, because we are creatures of habit and when we it's called habit stacking and, and when you do the same thing repeatedly 
um, over and over again, it becomes a habit. Then that habit over time becomes deeply ingrained in you and that becomes a part of your character. And before you know it, suddenly your character's changed and you're looking at the world through different eyes and you find yourself being open and you find yourself embracing life and embracing other people, opportunities, life looks good, feels good and is good to you. So don't discount a little exercise, a little gratitude exercise and the massive impact that it can have in your life when you practice it regularly and consistently. Lastly, let's just touch on how the way that you think that others perceive you may be impacting on you and making you feel small and ashamed. So what this does is it leads to feelings of wanting to withdraw from others and from life. And if you hide yourself away, if you do a good enough job, you might even become invisible or feel as though that's what's happened. So maybe you don't feel seen, heard or valued. Maybe you don't feel the people in your life see you. Maybe you feel that they don't listen to you. Maybe you feel that they don't value you or what you have to say. So talk about making you feel worthless when this happens. It's terrible. It is easy to start believing that you have no real worth when this is happening in your life. And how do I know this? Because I've been there. I, you know, I have felt like an absolute doormat. I felt as though the people who were closest to me, namely my ex-partner, and my young children, I felt that they just walked all over me. And for a while, even after I managed to break away, I thought that I still felt this way. Um, and I felt that this is the way that I was going to be treated throughout my life. And, um, and then I met a good man who treated me with respect and who gave the children a really good example to follow of how to treat someone. He saw me. He listened to me. He valued me. He constantly expresses how grateful he is for all the little things that I do. And he makes me feel truly appreciated. So I know, I know what that feels like and, um, and I know what the opposite feels like. I know what it is to feel appreciated and what a difference it makes to the way that you feel, um, your feelings of security, your feelings of being able to be open and have the courage to be vulnerable and allow yourself to grow and develop. My, my life has transformed um, 
from those early days of me first allowing myself to use my voice in those very uncomfortable times of feeling very exposed, very vulnerable when I was talking to people about the types of support that I needed for the very serious challenges that I was going through. That was the beginning. That really was the beginning. And then there was a whole lot following on from that, that I learned that I discovered because I allowed myself to think that there was a possibility of something different to what I knew from what I had experienced in that very toxic relationship that I was in. In my heart of hearts, I knew what I valued in life and I knew it was very different to the life that I was living and my desire, my desire to find that in life was so strong that it helped me to push past all of the horrible discomfort of turning to people that I didn't know for help with the challenges that I was facing. But what I found in opening myself up and sharing my most vulnerable self to and entrusting that to people is that it was met with respect it was met with it was met with appreciation I wasn't made to feel a fool by these people I wasn't made to feel as though I wasn't enough because I was facing these very complex challenges. In fact, these people told me what a courageous person I was. And they valued me. So that was something that was unexpected and very much appreciated. And I hope that when you have the courage to push past that stigma and seek support from people who work in this area, so whether that is a domestic violence um, support agency or whether it's somebody who works as a counsellor, as a therapist, or you're dealing with the police, a lawyer, or the courts, that you also receive the respect that you deserve from these people when you share your most vulnerable self to them. So I, as I said to you, um, I know a fair bit about putting myself in vulnerable positions where I felt that awkward feeling of not knowing how someone perceives me. It's a horribly cringy place to be because you want to present well to people. You want people to basically respect you um, and see the good in you. And when you're presenting with disasters, you feel as though 
how is somebody going to see the good in me here? How are they going to do that? Aren't they going to think I'm a basket case? Aren't they going to think that, um, you know, I am an idiot, uh, you know, a failure, uh, all this negative stuff? Uh, isn't that the way they're going to perceive me? Aren't I going to be judged if I open myself up to, to people? Now, I'm not saying that you won't at any stage because, <clears throat> excuse me, because sometimes we confide in the wrong people. Sometimes we share more than is necessary to gain the support that we need. And so you don't need to share absolutely every dark secret that you have in your life to receive support with the challenges that you're facing. So I encourage you to be discerning about what's relevant to that person who you are seeking help from. You're not going to know exactly what they need to know because you don't have that experience to know if you're talking to a domestic violence support person and they're asking you questions, trust that they have a process. They know the types of questions that need answering. The answers to those questions, what, those, what they reveal to them is they reveal indicators about the level of crisis that you are experiencing, the level of risk that you are at in your current situation. They, the questions that you get asked, they give the people who are trying to help you, the people who are trying to support you, they give them the very critical information that they need to be able to give you the right level of support. So don't always feel as though you have to know exactly what they need to be told. Listen to the questions and, um, and be guided by those. But if you, having said that, if you have a point that you feel is not being heard by them, that is very critical to your, the level of risk that you're at, and if that particular person is not hearing you can ask to speak to a supervisor. You can go higher than that person that you are dealing with. So don't feel as though you have to settle. If you don't have a rapport with somebody, if somebody isn't understanding the level of risk that you feel your safety is at, you can ask to be put in touch with their, their manager and um, and just keep advocating for yourself, okay? So you are brave, you are so courageous. Know that as much as you need validation and I am trying to give you that validation in every single episode of this podcast that I do, I'm trying to validate you, your worth as a person in telling you yes you are worthy of support you are absolutely worthy of support you're not always going to get validation from everybody that you encounter 
to help you to feel secure. There are the right people and they're the people that you need to seek out. They're the people that you need to have in your corner. Those people that will help to validate you, validate your worth, validate your rights to be able to come out on top of those challenges and adversities that you're going through. Sometimes we want to turn to people who are closest to us to seek that validation, to seek that support. They're not always the right people. They're not always equipped with the right experience to be able to help us. Maybe they're too close and this causes a conflict. This compromises them and they're unable to give you the right level of support that you need. So I encourage you to look outside of your close circle. There'll be many times if you stay within your close circle that you will face, you may face disappointment. And it's not because that person um, has failed any more than you failed. It's just perhaps that they're too close to the problem they're too conflicted, they're too compromised by what's going on in your life. So this is where you really can benefit from looking outside of your inner circle and looking for people who work in more official capacities to support you, who have the experience, the skills and the ability to be able to support you through the challenges that you're facing. Now, I just want to end by saying that you really do deserve to feel seen to feel heard and to feel valued and that when you have these things that this can be one of the most empowering gifts that you can ever receive in your life to be freed up so that you can become assertive you can become proactive and you can become empowered. So please, 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 please don't suffer alone in silence any longer. And no, I'm here for you. And there are many amazing organisations equipped to help you with whatever struggles you're facing. And remember, we're all human at the end of the day. That means that we are all incredibly fragile. We all feel pain. We all go through suffering at different points in our lives. So the path that I now live on is the path to live my best life, the path where I can be the best person that I can be with what I have, what I know, and the people that I surround myself with. The path I walked away from was the path of self-consciousness, perfectionism, feelings of not being enough and worrying about the way that other people might perceive me. I no longer want to be perfect. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled with engaging with my life as much as I can and making the most of who I am and how I can contribute to the world that I live in and contribute to the ones that I love. And I hope that this episode helps you to have the courage to find allies to help you face life's adversities. 
you will still have to face the challenge, but you will have a plan, you will have a strategy, and you won't be doing it all on your own. Okay, on that note, stay well, stay safe. Lots of love, Sandy. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow, hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset, spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on, to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe. Sandy.